everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome once again to the Pure Digital Podcast with Moses Kemibaro. And today I'm very, very excited to have with me here today, Biko Agosta, somebody I've known, I think, for the better part of the last decade and a half. He's the founder of the company called Pesapal, one of Kenya's earliest fintechs doing innovative things in the marketplace. Karibu sana, Liko. Thank you very much. So, I'm Liko, to be here. great. So, Liko, I know this interview has been two two years in the making. We've, we've been talking a lot. We've been seeing all the innovative things that Pesapal has been doing. Also, I think when you look at the sort of the heated activity within the fintech space in East Africa and across the continent, uh, you're obviously one of the earlier pioneers and, and somebody who's done a lot of work in this space and your company is renowned uh, for really sort of accelerating the pace of, of payments uh, through digital platforms. But I think for me, what I'd like to maybe first of all delve into is talk a little about Liko. You know, who is Liko? Um, where are you coming from? You know, how did all this happen? And maybe we can go back to you know, like many of us who are were digital nowadays, um, the early formative years, you know, getting into computers, getting into banking, I think in the US where you worked. Tell us a little bit about how this journey started. So um, I, was, I was lucky enough to, when, when I finished high school, my, my mom was kind enough to let me go to your normal computer classes. So I took, uh-huh. I did, did the IDPM. I think it was called IDPM at uh, Strathmore college then was this the days of ms dos and uh, things like this d- yeah these are the days of ms dos um novel network um, yeah i remember um i think it was called Tabo pascal so yeah um we first computer uh or first computer interaction was at strathmore college nice um right after high school that's 95 96 um Good times. That's that's how I got in. Uh, went to college uh, in Kenya and then moved to 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 the states. Uh, failed my exams actually in Moi University horribly. No way. Got discord. And then, <laughs> and then um, went to 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 the states. Uh huh. Whereabouts in the U.S.? I was in Kansas City. First of all, I started in Knoxville, Tennessee, for one year, uh-huh. and then moved to Kansas City. Um, left Kansas City in 2004. By the time I left Kansas City, I was working, uh, worked for a law firm and uh, for Sprint uh, at Telco. I remember Sprint, yeah. yeah. Then I moved to to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I worked in banking for around five years. Came back home in 2007 and uh, with my business partner, Onesmas, called him my boss, started a um, software outsourcing company, Vaviant Consulting Services. Yeah, I remember when you launched Reviant, it was probably the first time we met each other. Um, yes. And I think at that point, if I remember correctly, the core of your business was actually sort of exporting services. You were not doing so much in Kenya. It was more like international companies, right? Yes. So the, the thinking around that business was there's a lot of talent here, which is true. Like we continue seeing a great amount of talent, you know, software development, everything in Kenya. And um, the thinking at that time was, there's all these companies or all these businesses um, abroad who would pay for services out of Kenya. And we did pretty well. It's just that when post-election violence comes in, um, I think mm. it was uh, right after, I think the 2007 election, when post-election violence comes in, um, the customers panic because of business continuity. So we had to shift focus to local business. Okay. 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 Then when we shifted um, focus to local, no, actually, I don't remember the order nicely, but it was post-election violence and there was a global financial crisis. Ah, uh, yes, the yes. global meltdown. Yes, yes. Yeah. So post-election violence, we kind of recovered. Then 
um, global financial crisis comes in and then now everyone is just cutting costs. And at that point, CFOs are just deciding cut, 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 cut. Um, you know, do minimum, um, basically go through the storm and then um, you'll do whatever you're doing. So we sat down and we thought, okay, fine. What is it we can do? How do we make sure we survive? And um, the whole idea was try and build products or try and build things that you can sell or that will work even if the office is closed so that you can mm. always be earning uh, earning money. So we started building a travel network. Um, actually, we were not building Pesapal uh, as, as, as a platform. We were building a travel network. And the thinking around the travel network was somewhere where someone who wants to come to East Africa would search for their travel options. East Africa continues to be a leading destination for tourism uh, or for tourists in the world, basically safari, beach, bush, and all that stuff, the African experience. So we build the platform. We get close to the end. Then we're like, ah, cool, find a payment gateway. We set up an account on PayPal. First payments come in, the account was shut down. No way. We set up an account on Google. Google had a Google Pay or Google... Was it Google Checkout or something? Google, there was a Google product I remember, for, for yeah. payments. Yes. Um, a, a PayPal competitor or a PayPal clone. We also set up a, um, the business there. We were shut down. We actually went and created uh, the business in the US. I remember I cooperated in Delaware, set up an account on authorized.net. The first transactions come in, you're shut down because you're saying, look, I'm processing transactions through you and the money is going to be moved to Africa to pay for uh, travel. So at that time, you're sitting down, you're thinking, these guys are very unfair. But then when now we run a payment business, you understand why those decisions or you have more clarity into why those decisions are being made. So we decided to build a payment gateway. So basically, you're scratching your own itch. That, that's what happened. Yes. So we were like, build a payment gateway, and um, we bu we built the platform, built version one, announced it in uh, September two thousand and nine, and um, got like three transactions, tattoo. In the immediately, so this is no, early days. Um, between September two thousand and nine and um, August twenty ten, we got three transactions. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like not three transactions a day, not three transactions in total a week, three transactions in total. So you pivot to this idea, you, you, you set it all up. You pivot the idea. So we, you, you've built the platform, um, you know, build it and they'll come. Yes. There are many things we did not know. There's in the, like when you, when you sit down and you look at the Pesapal of then, you, then you laugh at yourself how stupid you could have been. There was a lot of naivety at the yeah. time. Then um, Access Kenya calls us and they're doing concours. Um, they say they want to sell. You know, at that time they had home, I think home.net. So the or .k, like, I home remember that. .k. They were really pushing for people going online. They decide they want to sell tickets um, online. So we went to the meeting. To be honest, we did not have a ticketing platform. But they said um, they want to sell tickets online. Like, ah, yeah, we have a platform. It was on, I think, on a Monday evening. And on my way back to the office, I called my colleague. He's very successful right now. He runs a software company. It's called Paul Mungai. And I was like, by the way, we, on Friday, we're going to demo an online ticketing <laughs> platform. So we built tickets.pesapal.com. Our first client was Access Kenya. We sold 156 tickets. So you're moving from three transactions a year to 156 tickets um, going into a weekend. 
that was pretty successful. So we thought, ah, cool, the future is ticketing. So tickets.pesapal.com became what is ticketsasa.com right now. At this point, are you acquiring both cards and uh, M-Pesa? We started with M-Pesa uh-huh. on a SIM card that was registered to Paul Mungai. No so way. when you paid Pesapal, when you go to the iframe, it told you, send money to this phone number. And we had a SIM, SIM server at Adtel. And we had put the SIM card in there. So when the payment comes in, we read um, the payment uh, information on the SIM card, then we complete the transaction. So if you paid Pesapal at that point, the first SMS said Paul Mungai. And then a confirmation SMS came from Pesapal saying you paid Access Kenya or, or, or whoever it is at that time. So this is very much previous uh, prior to Lipana Mpesa and all these things. Yes, Lipana Mpesa was was not a thing then because I remember the first time we heard about um, Mpesa merchant payments. So our thinking was build the merchant payment uh, side of Mpesa. Um, and then Copo Copo came and did a very good job at, uh, at, at you know, putting some traction on that pay merchant or pay bill, mm. um, whatever. So we had uh, the M-Pesa um, integration. Uh, we had Visa MasterCard uh, through I&M Bank at that time. Um, and a lot of lessons that came with that. That's when you learn um, about card fraud. That's when you learn about customer service. That's when you realize, okay, we built a system, but we didn't think about how will accounts log in? How will finance log in? How will all these things work and, and, and all that stuff? So immediately after concourse, now we start building the real Pesapal because version one was just a proof of concept. A proof of concept. But you didn't know you had a proof of concept. So based on what's happened in the market, based on what you've seen, you start building now what um, is, is, is the basis of what Pesapal is right now. So late 2010, you're building, you're trying to make sure everything is okay. Um, 2011, we got our first real merchant, Rupu. Uh, I remember Rupu. Yeah, two months later, we got Zuku when Zuku was starting. Um, we, I remember that at that time, the, the CEO was Richard Bell. He was kind enough to say, okay, fine, I'm going to give you business. Because we went to him looking for money, uh, looking for an investor, East African Capital Partners. And uh, he was like, ah, cool, you're too small for me, but... Here's business. And um, Zuku opened doors for us because we started with Zuku. It helped us build out a whole team, build out the processes, build out settlement, risk management, and everything. And then when they opened Uganda, we opened Pesapal Uganda. When they also, we rode with them. We opened the... Pesapal Tanzania. That was our anchor tenant. Um, Fantastic. And, uh, yes. So they make it. They made it very, very easy for us to go into a country, set up the country, make your first hires, build your processes, build your settlement, and everything. And now you used to start getting this Pan-African dimension, right? How do things work in Uganda? How do things work in DZ? You start to understand those environments and and figure out how to go beyond Kenya and become a regional business, right? So we went in, into Uganda and Tanzania with one anchor tenant. And we, we will always be appreciative for that chance because it allows you to build. Our experience thinking about other markets has just been stressful. Why? Because right now you have to navigate um, regulation. You have to navigate getting the right people. You have, mm. there's, there's a lot more to be done if you don't have an anchor merchant but the, the big blessing about our business right now is we've always had a good team 
we've always been lucky enough to have hired the right people or very very good people so we take we we do many many to experiments mm, so mm. one of our experiments has worked out very well the post business that one is an easier business to put in another country and to scale yeah tell us a little bit more about the post business i think your your product is called sabi mm-hmm. uh, how did that come about how did it happen because i think one of the catalysts for this particular conversation today is that i think in the course of a week i have encountered persepal i think in three different merchants and i keep sending you pictures and screenshots of of this stuff and i'm like you know it almost feels like you're everywhere in the post space but maybe tell us how that actually came to be we're supposed to be everywhere our thinking or our, our general strategies be that um service provider who every business uses by you know with the, with the different products businesses have unique needs and we think that um a lot of organizations that interact with businesses look at them immediately as a place to extract money we're trying to define a new relationship with businesses where you say look how can i come and make it just a little bit easier whether it's to do your collections to do your reporting to do your reconciliation and and and, and all that stuff now when we were looking for a name for a post product we ended up with sabi it's pigeon for know or understand so we think mm. we're trying to build a platform whereby we can help the owner of a business get a general view a general understanding about what's going on so you know collecting money sending out money just managing their money and to do that we've had to do a little bit or a lot more than what other platforms offer in the market we've had to build post infrastructure that um into which you can integrate anything so there there are APIs these interfaces whereby if you have a point of sale application uh, if you have an ERP application if you um if you are a hotel and you run a property management system if you are a restaurant and you have a restaurant management system we're delis- deliberately going out to these um providers or the larger providers and saying let's do the work to integrate so that if you come and you pick um or when you come and you pick sabi or pesapal infrastructure you'll always know things are flowing all the way to the end mm-hmm. every payment can be accounted for you can know that this payment is for the customer in room number 82 or you can know that this particular cashier is not keying in information correctly so that's what we are we are transparency on. and and being able to see all the the points so yes. to speak So we 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 believe that payments is a very small part of a transaction or, or but then we need to put the payment and what someone was paying for so that the owner of the business can have a clear view because if i just give you a report of your payments you'll not be able to know where is this coming from and then we find a market whereby like if you look at hotels and restaurants for example we've done very well there we find a market whereby people invested in infrastructure um but then they were not maximizing from the infrastructure so we're spending time on building specialized teams that can basically align with the businesses ask where are your problems then we see what can we fix what can we facilitate yeah so it sounds to me there's a bigger philosophy here right it's not just about the payments it's really looking at how a business can actually run better Yes. So from running our own business, we've seen what happens when you do automation. We've seen what happens when you do things better. We've seen what happens when you have a better budgeting process, um a better management process, your management accounts and all that stuff. So you're like how do you 
support other businesses. Now, fraud is a big problem. Whether you run a petrol station, you run a hotel, you run a restaurant, you run a wines and spirits, there's always fraud. If you can help the businesses reduce fraud, you know, by saying, look, I'm doing things end to end, mm-hmm. then you're helping the viability of the business. Then you're helping the owner of the business because typically the owners of businesses deploy capital, but then there's leakages. So you're dying, but you don't know what you're, why you're dying. Do you find that there's a big challenge? Because I imagine in many businesses, some of these things have been status quo. People have become accustomed to things being bad. Do you find that it is a challenge to get them to adopt your products and your approach um, to get the benefit, the full benefit of them? Or is it something where you need to spend a lot of time educating them on the key benefits and why they should do it? It takes time. And, and we're also working very hard to continue being better. It used to be that you got a post terminal from a financial institution and you never saw them until they were bringing more printer rolls or you had a problem or more rolls for printing and mm-hmm. you had a problem. We've defined a different relationship where we keep on checking in and saying, how are you? Where are things? How can we help? You know, and obviously we can't sort every problem, but then there are things when you hear the same problem with 20 customers, then because all our software is built in East Africa, mm. it's easy for us to say, okay, fine. Um, Fred, please work on this. So it's easy for us to say, hey, Michael, please work on this. Or look at this as a problem and say, it's going to affect, let's say, 500 merchants. So go ahead and fix it. How big is the post business if you're able to share any insights? Because again, one of the catalysts of this meeting for me feels like these post systems are everywhere. And I'm seeing them in, I think when I was in Mombasa at White Sands a couple of months ago, it's there. I was at a restaurant the other day. I think I shared that with you. But it feels to me that I'm seeing them pop up everywhere. And I guess it's about this new approach that you're bringing to the market, right? So the approach is try to align with the business, number one. Number two, the businesses typically, like if you look at Kenya, um, the business wants to manage their card payments. They want to manage their M-Pesa. Our post terminals support um, card and mobile money. So you're giving one central interface whereby even if you pay by M-Pesa, there's receipting. So there'll be a report that has everything. So your typical gaps, your typical reconciliation nightmare, the typical places where you'd be twangled if you own a business start narrowing. Because now you have one single source of truth. It's all yes. there. So you're trying to become the single source of truth. Um, one of the things we're trying to think about is how do we also put cash as part of that uh, equation. So that at the end of the day, you'll say, how much am I getting from Pesapa, which is Visa, MasterCard, and then how much cash at hand is the person at the shop supposed to have? So it's one point of truth. Because our infrastructure is is, is built um, in East Africa, we're going to get to a point whereby if you own a business and you're not near the shop, you can pull up your merchant account and you know these are my collections for today. Now, Let's talk a little bit about that unified platform approach because I think the other aspect I really wanted to hear more about is the e-commerce infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. How people like the hotels, you know, we as an agency, for instance, in my company, use PesaPal to help our clients acquire payments on their websites for e-commerce sales. Um, how's that doing? Because I think that was the kind of like the original entry point. Uh, how's that doing? What's happening in that area? Um, maybe you can share a little bit more about how PesaPal is playing in that space. So. E-commerce, to us, a lot of e-commerce has been travel commerce. 
you know, like a, your, your typical tour operator, your hotels, um, bill payments actually, and, and and bill payments. And that's a good business. That's a business that has um, really powered us and, you know, supported us or helped us pay the bills over the year and make, make back their, their, their reinvestment. Now, early COVID, travel disappeared. Mm. So e-commerce disappeared. Um, a lot of what we were reading in the world is e-commerce is exploding because Amazon exploded, Shopify exploded, um, Stripe and all those guys, and even the tech stocks went up. But we struggled to find e-commerce in East Africa. Why? Because we did a lot of work around enabling our customers to do e-commerce. Um, we had, actually, we there's one segment where we had success. It was food delivery, like uh -huh. you know, building, you know, supporting a um, at Cafe with their online delivery platforms, Mama Rocks with their online delivery platforms. That did well. But when we looked at traditional retail and such things, it did not really take off. Or shopping, uh, household shopping, it did not take off. So we think there's travel commerce, there's ordering quick food. We believe that um, a lot of hotels, uh, sorry, a lot of restaurants and all that stuff are going to continue building their own infrastructure because they want to lower their cost of yeah, on online sales as opposed to using the, uh, the 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 food delivery services, who take a massive commission, right? Yes, yes, and then um, we believe that there's going to be local commerce, and we want to be part of it as 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 an enabler, but we believe there's going to be a time when, if Moses wants to buy an iPhone, and he gets it online cheaper than at the shop, he'll buy it online. Right now, if you're trying to buy online and on, on our online sites, they're more expensive than just going to Diamond Plaza. Yes. So convenience. So it, there has to be convenience and there has to be a price element. Um, I started using Amazon when, when, when I was in the States uh, because books were 30% cheaper than in Borders. So you'd wait the three days. You'd actually go to Borders, look at the books and everything, and then you'd buy and wait for three days because you know you've saved 30, 30%. So Amazon was cheaper. We believe that we're going to get to a point whereby someone can actually model it and say, look, I'm going to give a better price on e-commerce because I'm warehousing and, and marketing and all that stuff. And I believe that there needs to be natural distribution channels. You, you kind of can't stand alone. Mm, yes. Mm, mm. So, like, if you look at at at, at e-commerce in our markets, Jumia has never made a profit. So they, they they've been standing alone. I think I had a lot of hope for Safaricom and Masoko because you're standing on an existing mm. business, but um, I don't think that worked out. But I think there's an opportunity to be able to say, here is e-commerce. The product is cheaper. And I'm le and by the way, Moses, I know your credit uh, rating is X, so you can pay me over five months. So basically, it's a, it's a work in progress. We're not quite there yet in that sense. Yes, because the products on most e-commerce sites in our markets are more expensive. And uh, there's really no advantage because why would you buy an iPhone online at the same price you can buy a Diamond Plaza? And Diamond Plaza, you just jump into your car and you go. Yeah, the value proposition is not strong enough. It's not strong enough, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about regulation, right? Mm -hmm. Payments, uh, you know, money and payments is, is very sensitive. Um, one of the things I've always noticed on your social media is whenever you, you get um, certified or accredited by 
you know, in Tanzania and Uganda and Kenya, which I believe are all solid now for you. Um, tell us a little bit more about that journey towards being a regulated uh, payment, uh, you know, payment uh, service provider. So ar- around four years ago, um, as the business was growing, um, so the e-commerce business is not usually in your face. With the e-commerce business, usually someone finds you when they load a page. Mm. You know, like you're on an airline website, then you click pay, all of a sudden PayPal comes up. Yes. The post business is in the neighborhood. And um, remember, we had a, a mobile point of sale product, uh, you know, the small car dongle that used to have a Bluetooth connection. Yes, yes. So when we started doing that business, we realized that, okay, fine. Um, one, you've been collecting money. Two, when you st- when, when we started, like in 2009 in Kenya, um, there was no regulation around uh, um, around uh, collection or payment services and, and, and all that stuff. Okay, so people used to get a letter of no objection, or usually you'd sit under a bank. So around four or five years ago, we decided, okay, fine, try and find out what it takes to be regulated. And it was a long process whereby now you start understanding why do I need to have a risk department? Why is there a compliance department? Why, you know, why am I doing a business continuity audit? Why am I doing an AML audit? What is AML? So <laughs> it has been a ridiculously fulfilling learning experience. And we're still learning. That also because, painful, I imagine. Yes, because it's it's you you're learning how the world works. So sorry, how how the regulator or how governments want money to be handled. Um we announce because these are usually very, very thorough processes, very demanding, very rigorous. So when you finish, you also want to go out to the public and say, look, I'm regulated. Or here is a place you can call in case there's a problem. Yes. So um, we've done a good job. Um, we are still working on, on, on regulation in, in, in other markets that we think we want to go into. It's a learning process. And I think with regulation comes this, I think for partners, you know, even for service providers like us, um, that sense of, I think, peace of mind. I know, for instance, for you guys to interconnect even with people like Visa and so forth, again, the processes are rigorous, right? But that is usually PCI DSS, PCI PIN, and then now you start um, connecting. For customers, Yes, it's peace of mind. And even for us, the sales process becomes better because people stop asking who owns this company. Or people stop asking, Nay, Gina, Gosta, Liko, and Atoka, Abi. It's a, it's you know, the people want to approval. know, you know, Nimluya, Nimukamba. You know how our markets work. Yeah, yeah. So it's, 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 it gives a little bit um, of comfort because we used to be asked, who owns this company? Because the nature of the fact that you're doing payments, yes. right? Yes. And people are wondering, is it safe? Is it is not? Could there yeah. be risk? So it helps. Um, it is it is demanding, and then, but we've benefited a lot from all the regulators in East Africa. When you don't understand something, and you ask, they are very kind, and they will explain. And we understand what they're doing. And also, we had to create a legal department and hire lawyers. If you wow. had told me that we would ever have a lawyer on staff, I'd have told you. You know, what are you smoking? 
I'm so grateful for having this conversation because I'm now seeing other dimensions <laughs> of what is Pesapal. But another thing I think for me, uh, that I love about the way you operate, Liko, and how the business has been running, you know, you sort of stayed the path. You've gone full on, you're doing things in a regulated way. Is, you know, right now it's very easy to get sort of, uh, I think the word is starstruck uh, with the fintech space in Africa. And the reason I'm saying this is because we're seeing ridiculous amounts of money flowing into the fintech space. I think even a few years ago, I had a conversation with you and you didn't sound in any way flustered or concerned about who's raising what and, and what that means for your business. It sounds to me like you've always been kind of very grounded and very almost focused, like get the job done, grow organically, move forward. I don't get that feeling you're the kind of guy who um, is looking for the next big donor or investor to take your business to the next level. Can you tell us a little bit more about that journey? Because some would say you've taken the harder path. Um, you know, how, how do you operate in that manner? How does that work? Um, when we discuss, and, and, and I work with <laughs> very smart, very patient people. My, my, um, one of my colleagues, Onesimus, always says, solve a problem for many people well and everything will work out. So it doesn't, I don't believe money will solve a problem for many people well unless you're giving loans at scale and that is also a business that takes time. And then number two, we have time. Because we do not, we, we still control our vision and we will, always control our vision and where we're going. I don't believe there's money that we would be given or an investment that we would be given that would tell us, you know, we, 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 we've looked at Africa or we've looked at East Africa and we've hired people from East Africa who are saying, this is where the problem is. I don't believe there's no amount of money that will convince us to ignore that problem and then start looking at something else. Mm -hmm. About money, we've seen money for a long time. There are people who've used money very well. Um, but when you look at money alone, it does not seem to be what makes people successful. It is not the means to the end itself. So to it's speak. not a means to the end. I'm not saying I hate money. I'm not saying I'm now a socialist. You know, I'd like to buy a G-Wagon like everyone. But then there's no correlation between how much money you did you raise and success. Absolutely. And I think okay. that hype is, people are losing their way, so to speak, isn't it? To some extent. I was told, never believe your PR. You know the truth. Like I can go to, to, to a nightclub or I can go to a bar or a restaurant. And when the waiter comes, I start, you know, whatever in dollars. But maybe I only have $2,000 and I have $5 million in debt. So never believe your PR. There is the truth. You know the truth. Like um, when we sit, you know, we, we have the numbers. We know where the problems are. We have the insults from the customer who is mad. That's the truth. So if we can focus on that, and, and what we try to do is say, focus on that. Get that customer who is not happy to become happy. Get that customer who is not a believer to become a believer. And sometimes say, look, I'm really, really, really sorry. I'm not the right service provider for you. Even saying no, basically. 
Yes, and then saying, look, this is the right person. You know, sometimes you push people in the right direction. Mm. Because you might not work with them on post or e-commerce, blah, 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 but maybe they use Ticketsasa. Maybe true. they use Reserve Pod. You know, there's quite a few products that we have. And um, again, we have time. And that's actually part of the, I think the really impressive side to even the service portfolio you have. Because I know like we have a client in Zanzibar and they're using the, the travel port. Mm-hmm. Uh, solution to to enable the e-commerce and went through a very painful process uh, trying to do something custom and then at the end of the day it became the solution because I think you had analyzed the industry you looked at the hospitality requirements you saw a pain point you created an offering which preempted what we were trying to build and I think that's what you're saying here isn't it that look yes. at a sector look at a space understand the commonalities of issues and then build a solution that fits almost plug and play to, to to close that gap. So so when we look at the hotel segment, Reserve Port, right now is used by, I guess, all the major hotels, um, mostly local, locally controlled um, hotels, because hotels wanted to sell online. And the business online is not big enough to warrant, uh, you know, $20,000 a year spend or $30,000 a year spend. So um, we built an online, a system that can be used by a hotel to make bookings online, to distribute their inventory on booking.com, hotels.com, blah, blah, blah. And if you have some property management systems, it will integrate. The same, same platform is what is being used by restaurants to integrate into their food ordering platforms and all that stuff. The same, same platform, we've now added connectivity so that if the restaurant, for example, has Uber Eats and uh, right now it's, I think, Uber, Uber Eats and um, Glovo, when an order is made on Uber Eats and Glovo, that software acts as middleware to land it into the hotel. So the hotel, the, the restaurant, so the restaurant doesn't need to have tam- uh, tablets and all that stuff. So this, this is a product that is evolving with a market. Okay, In Kenya, the product is very popular because hotels want to have a resident rate and a non-resident rate. Mm. So when you bought a lot of the international software, they tell you buy two licenses. One, we've put prices in dollars, and the other one, we've put prices in shillings. Ours basically has, you know, you click a drop-down, or based on where you're loading the site, it will show you the right pricing. So that's our thinking. The segment or the hotel segment is big enough for you to build something as a value add because you're like, okay, fine. This hotel is going to be here 10, 20, 30 years from now. So if you can help them with a pain point and grow with them, it'll generally pay back. Absolutely. Fantastic. I think for me, one of the last things I'd like to ask about is, you know, if we start looking at the crystal ball, Mm -hmm. two to five years from where you are today, where do you see Persepal going? What sort of scenarios? Because again, there's this, you know, sort of fairly vast product portfolio of which many people might not know how many things you've built and what you offer. Um, But the next two to five years, where do you think you see Pesapal going? So our, our um, strategy generally, we have universal products. The e-commerce and the post business are universal products. Generally, most businesses can sign up for e-commerce. They can get a post terminal. And then there is a sector-specific product. We have a good offering for events and uh, concerts, events, holiday packages on Ticketsasa. We have a good offering for hotels, restaurants, and all that stuff on ReserveBot. And then now we're defining or building other products um, to pick particular segments that we'll be announcing as we go. So we are approaching the world um, 
market by market, segment by segment. There are places where we will not compete and you'll not find us. And we're okay until we have a product that will be good enough to make us the number one provider. That is how we build, we believe we can help businesses. And by helping the businesses, you basically are offering way more value than any other provider. And if you offer value, uh, more value than the other providers, then you're basically building the barrier of entry for other people, but then also making some money. Awesome. Yes. Liko, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. I'm delighted we got to do this finally, mm -hmm. two years in the waiting. Um, and uh, wishing you all the best going forward. I hope we'll have you again in the future on the Pure Digital Podcast, um, you know, with Moses Kemibaro. And more importantly, we are wishing you all the best at the supper. Thank you very much and thanks for having me.